Well, good morning. Please uh, be seated. I have a few brief comments because today is such a special day. Uh, <laughs> Steve, where, where are you at, Steve? Uh, huh. Where? <laughs> oh, the same place he always is. Hey there. I, I got my uh, blaze orange out this morning to wear just for you and uh, realized, well, Katie told me not to wear it. So... <laughs> I was going to wear it just for you, and I was going to strap on a bigger gun just for you. Uh, anyway, this is a good Sunday, a great Sunday. In fact, I do want to mention that tomorrow is Memorial Day, and uh, just keep in mind that uh, there are many who have served this country, uh, who have died for the liberty that that we have to gather freely uh, and to worship our Lord, uh, to have the freedom of religion and speech that we have. And so we remember those who gave their lives for our country on on this day. Uh, In fact, let's give them a round of applause, and uh, perhaps from heaven they'll hear it. All right, today we are appointing Steve Fascio to the office of elder at the Church of Sunsites. Ordination is an odd term that is not used in Scripture. Scripture does, though, speak of appointing elders to office. We see this in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Elders who are already in office always did the appointing in Scripture. And I am glad to serve an elder-led church as an elder, uh, led by a plurality of elders, not only one man. Today, we are appointing, and the church is affirming, another elder. I have a few reflections on the scriptures. One, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, Paul instructed Timothy, who was to appoint elders in Ephesus, not to lay hands on anyone too hastily. One cannot be known in a short amount of time. Uh, The church does not affirm elders simply because a position needs to be filled or because of some tradition. Our biblical instruction is not to act with haste, but to practice patience when considering elders so that their sin or false teaching may be revealed if there is any to be revealed. Only after sufficient time to see if those who desire to be elders meet the character qualifications in the New Testament should they be appointed and affirmed. The office that carries such weight in the church as does the office of elder is serious enough that those who currently fill the office admonish those being considered as elders so they may come to meet the character qualifications or else be revealed as unqualified. Two, Scripture gives no minimum or maximum number of elders for each local church. We simply know that there is to be more than one elder so that there is not one man in charge but Christ as the head. A plurality of elders works such that each elder is held accountable by the others and is a pastor to the others. So no one, not even the lead pastor, is left without an under-shepherd in the context of the local church. Everyone in the local church must be pastored, including the pastor. We cannot not be pastored if we are not a committed covenant part of the local church body. Rather, we cannot be pastored if we are not a committed covenant part of the local church body. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, this is number 3, we see the qualifications of those to be appointed to the office of elder. Here is what 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 says. In a, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, being elder, 
It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. To desire to be a pastor is a desire to do a good work. Because of the nature of the work, an overseer, in the same office as elder and pastor, must be, must. Must indicates that these qualifications are not optional. They are the prerequisites for pastoral ministry. And if anyone's character does not line up with these qualifications, he cannot serve in the pastoral role for anyone. He will hurt rather than help, and will lead many from Christ and sanctification rather than to Christ, no matter how religious his intent is. The qualifications for elders in Christ's local churches reflect the character goals of sanctification. This means... Every genuine Christian strives for these qualifications. Each character qualification, except of course for one's ability to teach, is a measure of anyone's maturity in Christ. If we are not chastened by the Holy Spirit to have these virtues, we are not likely children of God. The first qualification, above reproach, for an elder to be irreproachable is for his character to align with these qualifications. These are not mere outward qualifications, but are inward such that no accusation can be genuinely levied against the one in office. He is to be the husband of one wife. And to be the husband of one wife is to be a one-woman type of man. If any man is given over to a lifestyle of porneia, personal sexuality, adultery, or lust, it is a disqualification from any type of pastoral ministry. A sexual sin leads people astray and hurts others, even if we think the sin is secret. This qualification limits the office of elder to men, unlike the office of deacon which does assign qualifications for women pursuing the office. And you can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Elders are to be temperate, prudent, and respectable. To be temperate is to have your temper rather than lose it. Prudence is doing more than is required because we consider others to be more important than ourselves. We don't do stuff just because we can get away with it or do the minimum in order to accomplish our agendas. The ministry of a pastor is not his ministry at all. So he acts with prudence because he is a servant. Prudence is wisdom in action. Temperance and prudence constitute a respectable demeanor. Elders are hospitable. To be hospitable is to be interruptible and inviting. Elders are to be able to teach. And to be able to teach does not mean that one must be the most eloquent. Praise God. It means he understands the mysteries of God more and more and is able to explain those mysteries to others 
and service for the good of the local church. This qualification distinguishes the office of elder from that of deacon. It is not, it does not necessitate perfect knowledge, but requires the heart of a student and the gifting of the Holy Spirit to teach. It does not restrict anyone else in the church from teaching. Elders are not addicted to wine. Alcohol is not the elder's master. While having a drink is not sin, to be a voluntary slave to any substance other than Christ is. Elders are not pugnacious. An elder must have such a character that he is not always ready for a fight or easily offended by others. Even when attacked, he is able to maintain his composure, love, and forgive others because he is a slave to the local church for her good. Because of the nature of his office, he may say something that offends someone, or the Holy Spirit may use his words to chastise his people. And people react, but the elder of God's local church does not. Instead, he responds with reason and love. Elders are to be gentle and peaceable. Instead of being pugnacious, the character of the elder is gentle toward others. He tries to understand what is being said rather than reacting against it, like a pugnacious person. And because of his gentle character, the elder of the local church is peaceable. And rather than facilitating conflict, he denies himself and lives at peace with others as far as it depends on him, even apologizing and asking forgiveness when he feels he has done no wrong. He endures tribulation and attacks from others rather than reacting against them because he is called to fight a higher war by means of the gospel of peace. He does not feel a need to justify himself. Elders are free from the love of money. Since his eyes are on Christ, he does not live to earn money. To quote Steve on this, how can I love money if I don't have any? (laughs) There are many people who prioritize their own jobs and ministries over the calling of Christ, even using Christ as an excuse to live in such sin. Christians are called to deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow Jesus. And mammon, here a term used to refer to money, but also to other material possessions and status and reputation, mammon is a good slave, but a terrible master. One who manages his own household well. The elder must prove to be a good pastor to his own household before he can be considered a pastor of the local church. Many men expend themselves serving every other thing but neglect their wives and children. Many men neglect pastoring their households for the sake of their own ministries, thus sinning in God's name. Such is not the case with a qualified elder of God's local church. This is why we encourage our elders to prioritize their families over and above their service to the local church. Priorities matter. Pastor first your household, then pastor the local church, then everything else. The priorities of every Christian are like these. The elder is not to be a new convert. A baby Christians are prone to develop Messiah complexes in ministry. We are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. God doesn't need us. Our service to Him and the local church is by grace alone. Finally, the elder has a good reputation with those outside the church. The Christian lives in the world, not of it. The elder lives in the world, but maintains the example he sets for Christ 
without being pugnacious toward those who are of the world. He lives such that those who are not in Christ and don't pretend to be in Christ speak well of him and his moral example. Every Christian and every pastor will fail to keep these character qualifications perfectly unless he has been fully sanctified. And I don't suspect that anyone in this room is fully sanctified, is perfected. When we fail, we repent and move on. These are character qualifications, not works-based qualifications. If our character is consistent with these, even though we are imperfect, we are model Christians. It is my pleasure this morning to present Steve Fossio as an elder of the local church to be affirmed by the congregation. Pause. Steve, you, you got this. Steve, Steve, you are already a pastor to me. And I, and I already, I, I imagine the same is true for quite a few people in this room. Uh, you have not been chosen in, in haste. Uh, you are not being appointed in, in haste. Uh, you, you are a pastor. You are an elder appointed by the Holy Spirit. And uh, before we even really get started today, and uh, of course at the end of our time, we'll introduce the official business meeting and affirm Steve as an elder. Uh, members of this congregation will. But I, I just want to go ahead and pledge my commitment to you. Um, you and Albert both are, are my pastors, and, uh, and I commit to receive your admonishing by the Holy Spirit and your encouragement um, and, your, and your Bible teaching in my life as we pastor one another and as we seek to pastor this local church, uh, not having one single person who is in charge, um, but, but being a body of elders, doing what body of elders are to do. Um, so I submit to your admonition and your encouragement and to, and to mutually pastor this body of, of believers. I am the one who has the great privilege of preaching most often, um, but, but we pastor this church together. So I pledge my commitment to you as my pastor being appointed today, and I hope that the rest of the congregation will join me in pledging ourselves to, to Steve as our as our elder being appointed this morning. Let's sing. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us all here today. It's quite a surprise for me. We thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for everything you give us because everything that we have comes from you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord has led me to talk to you today about the Christian walk and we have a hard time walking the Christian way a lot of us do we we backslide along uh, I'll begin by uh, reading you some scriptures that will hopefully open your heart to what I'm about to say and I wrote a note in here. Warning. The truth may hurt. Colossians 3, 8-16 says, But now you must put them all away. 
anger, wrath, malice, and slander, and foul language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, for you are all brothers in Christ, all brothers and sisters. Seeing that you have put off the old self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on that as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Forgiving each other. And if one has a complaint against another, bearing with one another. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Um, what I'm going to talk about here is, is something I thought about quite earnestly. And some of this may hurt. And I'm sure it references to me just as much as it does to anybody else. Some people left the church because they cannot walk the Christian walk. They talk the Christian talk, but do not follow with their walk. Because pride in their integrity takes precedence over their ability to hum them, humble themselves. They let pride and anger prevail. When somebody's pride is hurt, they get angry. It's something I've done in the past. I'm not a newcomer to it. It happens to everybody. What is pride? I tell you, it's exaggerated self-esteem. Pride is something we should be able to put aside. I know I can. Uh, people say something to me and I don't like it. I just let it roll off my shoulder. It doesn't bother me. What is integrity? It's not something we instill in ourselves. It's instilled in us by the Holy Spirit to do things that are morally right. What He wants us to do. And recognized by our brothers and sisters around us. It's not a badge. It's, it's not instilled in us. It's not a badge to be displayed like some sort of badge of honor. If we harp on our integrity, that's pride. Pure and simple. God opposes the proud. In James 4, 6 it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The prideful people let pride and anger prevail. 
In Ecclesiastes 7 9, it says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. James 5 9 says, Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. For behold, the judge is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4 8 through 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's that word again. In the, in the prior passage, I said, do not grumble against one another. Here in another passage from another apostle, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What is grumbling? It's anger. You're angry at somebody. Put it away. It's something you can live without. I know when, I, when I'm not angry, I feel pretty good. If you're angry, you feel horrible. It's the time in your life that you do not feel good. Anger is not something that makes you feel good. 1 Peter 5, 5, 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with humility, all of you. This is not just younger people, it's all. With humility toward one another. Uh, here it is again. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Take your troubles to Him. When you pray, and you pray earnestly, in Jesus' name, end your prayer with, in Jesus' name, your prayer will be answered. It may not be right away. It may be a ways down the road. But it will always be answered. Casting all your anxieties on Him. <laughs> Imagine this, because He loves you. Matthew 5.22 But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. This passage is in another part of the Bible, other than Matthew, and it's a red letter. It's what Jesus says, exactly, almost word for word. Just calling your brother a fool? Go to hell? If it's that easy, it's going to be even easier to say, oh, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for my sin. In Jesus' name, please. And it's done. If you mean it, it's done.
A scribe asked, this is Mark 12, 30, 31. A scribe asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, this is a red letter, red letter statement in the Bible from Jesus. A scribe writes it down. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's pretty profound. Luke 6.37 Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. If we don't forgive people, I've had things happen in my life where I just couldn't forgive them, but I have now. I, I found the strength to do that. Sometimes it's very difficult. Uh, but it's one of the things we have to be able to do. Because if you can't say, I forgive that guy, I, I really do. He stole this thing from me, but I forgive him. If I don't do that, when I'm standing at the gate, Jesus will say to me, I never knew you. If I can't forgive, then I can't be forgiven. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7.15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes we do things out of stupidity. (laughs) I've done that a lot, believe me. Even the same problem we all face, our flesh temptations, our selfish desires to deal with. And as a human, he, like all of us, made wrong choices. I know I have. I feel sometimes people look at my life and I think, wow, I wish I had it all together like he does. Not... But nothing could be further from the truth. I don't have it all together. I make wrong choices, give in to temptation, and follow the desires of my flesh. Too often as we all do, I do strive to live right. But I have made some seriously stupid decisions in my life. And I'm thankful that there's somebody like God that looks down on me and and protects me and saves me from my stupidity. Too often as we all do, I do strive to live right, to follow Jesus, to obey His Word and be a light in this world. However, I'm not near perfect and sometimes do what I know is wrong. Even knowing the outcome won't be good simply because I'm just too tired or had a rough day or because (sighs) some other reason, some other excuse. And the thing is, when I do make the wrong choices and wrong decisions, it doesn't take long before I realize 
Steve, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> it never turns out well. We know that, don't we, Ed? <laughs> and I know life isn't going to be too much fun until I confess it, make the necessary changes, and get my life back on track. I had to write down all of this stuff because my memory isn't that great and I didn't want to miss anything in telling all of you this. But this comes from the heart. The worst times in my life where I've just felt miserable inside are because I've selfishly chosen to make the wrong decisions. And all of the best times in my life where I've felt awesome inside are when I've purposely chosen to obey God and follow Him. I've always found that when I think I can do things on my own and that I don't need to follow His commandments, I make great mistakes and I mess things up. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I think we've all been there. And if you haven't been there yet, you will be. <laughs> It'll happen. Because we're human. We're not like God. We strive to be. But we're not like Him. He's perfect. He's the only thing in our lives that's perfect. I've always found that when I think I can do things on my own, I don't need to follow His commandments. I make great mistakes and I mess things up. It's simple as that. He is God. He knows what is right. I'm not sure why that is so hard for us to learn sometimes. It's not always easy to follow Jesus and do what is right. It's not always easy to turn the other cheek. I know for me... When I was struck on the cheek, usually somebody didn't survive the confrontation. And I came from a school that was rather volatile at times. And usually, usually there was a confrontation of some sort, and it usually wound up somebody wound up with a black eye or bloody nose uh, but I think I've been able to turn the other cheek but I, if somebody does hit me on the other cheek I don't know what's going to happen after that <laughs> all bets are off uh, it's not always easy to follow Jesus and do what is right always easy to turn the other cheek. When people are mean or hateful to us, it's not always easy to put others first in our life. Especially when we don't think they deserve it. It's not always easy to let God completely control every part of our life. When we want different things than He does for us. He knows what's best for us. He works in our lives every day. And I've found... I've found that if I let myself relax, 
I can usually get through the day very easily. I just the other day I had something happen to me that would have angered would have angered me to no end. I backed my truck into into my carport and I had a big bag of aluminum cans sitting behind my truck. I backed my truck in so possibly if it ever rains it, it, my tools wouldn't get rained on. Well that bag got hooked on my back bumper and two weeks later I drove out my driveway almost a quarter of a mile and I closed the gate and I looked down the driveway and I said what is all that shiny stuff? <laughs> and I, I looked at my bumper and I, instead of getting mad, I looked up and I said, <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> I said, well, I got a lot of stuff to clean up when I get back. Oh, well. <laughs> but things turn out really good when you don't get angry. I came back and my little granddaughter there had picked up every can. 35 pounds of cans. I didn't have to bend over and pick that up. She, my granddaughters and my grandson are such a blessing. My whole family is such a blessing. He simply promised that he would be with us and we could find him in everything we need. I know from my own experiences that no matter how hard or impossible it may seem to obey God, we're always 10,000% better off when we make the decision to follow him, no matter what it may cost us. Yes, we all make wrong decisions, wrong choices. We all fail. And we all do stupid stuff sometimes. If I had... If I had a book and was able to recall every stupid thing I've done, my wife said that I should write a book, but I can't remember all this stuff. Because... Most of all this stupid stuff was with my friend, my lifelong friend that I met in third grade, my friend Jim. And we're friends enough that we can look at each other and actually know what we're thinking. That's pretty close. We have done such stupid things. I cannot say I'm the, I'm the king of stupid because if I'm the king of stupid, he's the prince. <laughs> we did things that was just... I should not be standing here today. How we made it to our 20s or 30s just amazes me. But we did... And I just had a conversation with him not too long ago, and I said, did you ever think we'd live to be this old? <laughs> How did that happen? 
So nobody has cornered the market on stupid, believe me. We all do stupid things. Uh, so did the Apostle Paul and every other human being who has ever lived. However, the thing we can learn from Paul's life is that he never let those things keep him from following Jesus. When he fell, he got right back up and continued on seeking to be like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We try, but we'll never get there. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He was in Rome. He was getting ready to be executed and was executed. And he gave in to the world like we all do, but he never gave up on following Jesus. And when sin and flesh made their way into his actions, he got things right with God. I also have made wrong choices, <laughs> done stupid stuff, and have given in to temptations more than I want to think about. But I've not let those things keep me from loving and striving to follow Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Yes, we all fail sometimes. But when we do fail, don't stay down. Get up and continue on. That's one of the key parts we must learn in life. We fail. Until we admit that we fail, we never will realize how much we need God in our lives. And I tell everybody. I've told everybody. I probably haven't got around to everybody with this that I usually tell people, but every day we live, every day we live is a test. You're being tested by God. You don't know it. And when you make that wrong decision and you realize, oh, I shouldn't have done that, you just realize you failed the test. Every day you're tested. Every day I do something and I fail. Nobody, I don't think anybody, I came close one time, not not sinning. One day. Yes, I did. Somehow, some sin, no matter how small it is, I fail. Somehow, some way. He tests me some way. Like I trip over a cord and I get mad. I trip over a cord and I fall into a bunch of cans or something. You know, I, something that angers me and I slow down and I say, and I've done this more than once. I look up and I say, this is a test, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. I'm learning to control things. I have to. We never will realize how much we need God in our lives until we realize that in our own strength we can never be what He commands us to be. We will not begin the healing process and realize the true meaning of His love, His mercy, and His grace in our lives. Don't give up on God simply because you made a mistake, a wrong decision. Jesus never changes His Word. His Word is always true. He's 
unchanging. The culture around churches can change. But if you read scripture, it doesn't change. It's exactly the same. His word is always true, and he will guide it and help us to live right when we seek him with all of our hearts, when we learn to hate what he hates and love what he loves. Now, that doesn't mean that we just say, well, I'm going to fail anyway. I might as well not even try. No, it doesn't mean that at all. The closer we stay to God, the more we read His Word, the more we pray and fellowship with Him, the less we fail. Yes, we all fail, but there's something we can do about that. Keep our eyes on Jesus. I've talked to a lot of people that they read the Bible and, and they read pieces of it. And I haven't talked to a lot of people that have read the Bible all the way through. And if they have, I tell them, read it through again. A lot of the stuff that went over your head is going to hit you right between the eyes. It's inevitable. I've read the entire Bible four times now, and every time I make my trip through it, I learn something. It's always there. I try to get back to the Bible as much as I can, but my friend back there, Albert, he keeps giving me another book on something. <laughs> filling my, my library. But there is something we can do about that. Keep our eyes on Jesus. I don't have it all together, but I do have Jesus Christ. And He's all I need just to follow Him daily and seek Him with everything. I am. It's not always easy, but it's well worth it. That much I can promise you. To walk with God is to decide that many of us have problems making the appropriate choices to allow God to perform His will and His life through us. And this is why we are the ones not God who make the Christian walk a difficult walk. We make it difficult. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there will be that find it. That's Matthew 7.14. The secret of the Christian walk is in surrendering. Surrendering simply means making many non-feeling choices every day to relinquish ourselves, all our thoughts, emotions, and desires to God. It doesn't take very long in the day to just sit there and close your eyes and say, God, what can I do today that would be good? I would like to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. You'd be surprised how your life changes. The secret of Christian walk is surrendering. Surrendering simply means making many non-feeling choices every day to relinquish ourselves, all our thoughts and emotions and desires to God. These are choices just like Jesus made as He faced the cross. It's constantly saying, Not my will, but Thine. 
Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. That's why he never sinned. I take time to pray for newcomers. I really do. People in the church, people to come, and of course people who have left. No matter what occurs in our lives, no matter how horrible or devastating the circumstances, God has given us His authority and His power to choose to lay down our lives so that He can produce His life through us. I ask Him to give me this one thing. Character. Whether He does or not, I don't know. I just live life to the best of my ability. It doesn't matter if others see me or not. What matters most is what no one sees. 1 Samuel 16.7 tells us, For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man is concerned with the way things look on the outside, but God is concerned with the way things look on the inside. God looks at the heart, and when God looks at me, I want Him to see Jesus in me. I have a long way to go. We all do. But God hears our prayers and answers. Step by step, He is making us more like Jesus every day. Unless we doubt or get discouraged, First John reassures us of this. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Jesus is our example, and we must always keep our eyes upon Him. For even here unto we're called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. First Peter two twenty one through twenty three, Luke nine twenty two twenty five. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain to be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Yeah, I come to my testimony. Uh, I, I've had things happen to me in my life that are indescribable. One of those things I shared with my youngest son and I shared with my two granddaughters. It, it, it took me 17 years to tell my wife 
everything. It's been four years since I, I told her. But, uh, my daughter, and because you are my daughter, you married my son. And my oldest son, they called us one night. It was at a time when we had the old brick phone and we didn't have very good service out here. We were coming in. My, my daughter was in labor in church. And... I had, we got a telephone call on our landline and said, Dad, you need to come in. You need to, you need to come in. We need you here. So we, we got in my truck and we headed into town. I came up 191 to Kansas Settlement Road. was about halfway to Birch Road, headed north on Birch Road to go into Tucson. And uh, all of a sudden tears started running down my face. A torrent. My shirt, my pants, totally soaked. I didn't have a blurry eye. I wasn't, I didn't realize actual crying but uh, I don't know how long it was I have no idea how long I was in that state but at some point my wife sitting in the passenger seat turned and said to me what's wrong and it didn't register for a second there. And she said, what's wrong? She said it again. And I turned. I think of this every day. I turned to her and I said, her grandson just died. went on to Tucson but what I couldn't tell her for 17 years is something <clears throat> if you had this happen to you you'd know why you would remember it every day of your life when the tears started I could not see my dashboard or my steering wheel. I see nothing. And a form, a white form in a hood, walks up to me and holds out his hand. Something wrapped in a blanket. And a hand reaches out. Now, this was a white form. A hand reaches out, pulls the 
blanket back and there's a baby in there. And it's moving. It's alive. And I stared at that for I don't know how long. And I tried looking at whose hand that was. It was a gray loose robe. Pulled back the, the covering so I could see the baby. And that's at some point in time my wife said, What's wrong? And it just didn't register. I was still looking at this, and the second time she said that, everything disappeared and passed through me. And that's when I turned to her and said, Our grandson just died. How did I know that? If you had something like that happen to you, <laughs> I've thought about this every day, every day of my life since then. I tried to think, why me? I don't know why. What was the reason? The only thing that I can come up with is that baby was moving and he's alive. I think he was trying to tell me that he was taking him and that he's still alive. That's the only thing I can think of. But that's... If you have something like that happen to you, it's something you can't forget. I relive it at some point in time every day. I never wanted to tell my oldest son and my daughter about this because my wife even asked me, why, why didn't you tell me? I said, because I thought you would think I was crazy. But I'm not afraid anymore. And I don't want them to be afraid either. Because what happened to me wasn't a dream. It was real to me. And I hope nobody has to go through that ever. Because it still hurts when I think about it. I'm going to close in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, make our thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions testify beautifully that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. May your truth mightily flow from our lips for the encouragement of the discouraged, the edification of your body, and the evangelism of the lost. May the way we live lead in love and make your grace obvious, praised and greatly treasured. Thank you for listening when we come to you in prayer. It is such a gift that you care about all of the burdens on our hearts. 
put people in our paths who will see you in us and wonder what is different about us. This world needs you so desperately. Oh Lord, give us the courage to pray hard prayers and be used for your glory. Father in heaven, I pray all of this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Not everybody has something like that happen to them, and I'm glad they don't, because it leaves an empty spot in your heart. And it leaves you thinking about it every day. I don't know. Pretty hard to describe. It sounds sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> but that's what happened. That's my life. If anybody has anything that they want to pray about, this is the time our pastor normally has for a time of reflection. So take a moment and And think about what you need to pray for. And pray. And don't be afraid to let somebody see you pray. Because that's part of life. That's part of what we are.